you're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now, it's complicated. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm not Jen. So you know how you text your friends and ask them what to wear on the first date, how to respond to a text from your crush, or to weigh in on whether you should post a certain pic on the socials? That's what we call your village, and we think you can't date or relate without them. Join our village because we're serving you expert guests who are filled with tips and tricks that will take some of the guessing out of this game. Make sure you subscribe and share our pod with your friends so we can help our village grow even bigger. You can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your pods, and don't forget to tell a friend. Okay, so feeling loved looks different for everybody, but the commonality is when you feel loved, it comes from another individual. But with all this trendy self-love talk, we tell ourselves we don't need to seek love from others to feel love. And while that is true, it is healthy to seek love from others as long as it's not all you depend on to feel love in general. So how can we tell if the love that we look for is toxic or not? Well, we have love and life coach and host of Love Life Connection podcast, Veronica Grant, in to discuss emotional availability and why women should stop pointing the finger at men, how our patterns and lack of self-love affect relationships, and why we do what we do in our love life. Veronica helps successful women who feel like they have it all except love find it. She believes deep work is the only way to deep love. Veronica's work has been featured in O, the Oprah magazine, Cosmopolitan, Your Tango, and countless podcasts, including Let It Out and Mind Body Musings. As someone who struggled in love herself and was tired of unsolicited and usually patronizing dating advice, even if well-mannered, she created the resources she wished were available before she met her husband. Through her binge-worthy podcast, free challenges, and coaching, she's here to shake up how you find love even in our swipe right, swipe left world. Meet Veronica and take your emotional availability assessment to see how ready you are for the relationship you really want. Go to veronicagrant.com slash assessment. She's back for round two and going to teach everyone how to fall back in love with you. Welcome to the show, Veronica. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Of course. Thank you for being here. First of all, we know your relationship status. But for those that might have missed the first episode we had you on, are you single, taken, or it's complicated? I am taken. We love a good love story. Can you just refresh everybody how you and your husband met? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. And it can be like a really short story or a really long story. And I will just tell you the short story and tell you how you can find the long story if you want. Um, But basically, we met at a bar, which I know is like, not really the best place to meet a potential partner it's a great place for a hookup or (laughs) something complicated maybe um but yeah we met at a bar but it was very serendipitous we had been circling in similar friend groups for um uh i think it's about seven or eight years or so and i had known about stevie for a while and we just had we just hadn't met or our paths kept you know not crossing and I was supposed to meet him three or four months before I actually did, but I was feeling a lot under the weather, so I didn't go out with my friends that night. And so then it just never happened again until a few months later when my friend was like, hey, do you want to you know, go to this bar? And meeting some of my friends there, Stevie's going to be like, oh, great, Stevie, I finally get to meet him. 
and then the rest is history. That is crazy. So it was supposed to, it was kind of like a setup that like people were thinking, oh, they should meet, like maybe they'd be a match type of a thing. Yeah, it was, I don't know if that was necessarily what crossed people, at least not this friend's mind, but only because he is just uh, not the most aware person <laughs> when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, but it was just funny because um, this friend that I met him through, we had known each other probably for seven or eight years and I had kind of moved all over the place. He lived in DC for most of that time and then made this friend Stevie. And so I just kept hearing about him and I was just very curious. Like there was something about whenever someone said his name, I was like, Stevie person, like, there's something there. I don't know if it was like the universe, like <laughs> dropping like these metaphysical hints, but I was like, I just feel like there's something there. And so then we finally met and we actually didn't start dating that night. That's kind of another complicated story. We are both dating other people. Uh, but then a couple of months after that, uh, we found our way back to each other. Okay, so then I have to ask, because you mentioned like there was something that clicked in your mind when you heard his name. And now we can all say like, okay, yeah, maybe this has happened before, but it's never turned into anything. Or, you know, or maybe then when you, in retrospect, when something clicks like that for you, and then you look back, you're like, oh, maybe somebody was trying to tell me something. So it could be either or, but like I had a moment like that when I first met my husband now, James, like I was just breaking up with this guy. It was horrible. I was like hung over. I was at this pool party that I didn't want to be at. And I saw him and I thought, who's that guy? And then I went, ugh, like in the same breath. I was like, oh God. Cause I just like, wasn't in the mood to think about things like that. But there was something about him that made me like look twice. And that could have literally been just anything if it hadn't turned into the guy that I'm with now like maybe I wouldn't have thought twice but I don't know if it was like a moment where I might have been picking up on something when you went out with Steve like when you met Stevie that night did you feel even though you were dating other people did you feel some sort of something because his name would always spark this thing with you so when you saw him and actually met him did that continue was he like elusive? Like, was he just this person that you're like, hmm? Yeah, you know, this is this is such a good question. And it's something I get asked all the time because a very common question my clients will ask me is like, well, how did you know when, you know, you met Stevie or when did you know? So, you know, questions, questions like that. And here, here's the truth. I mean, the truth is, is like that moment of like, ooh, I think this is like something or I think this is it. I have had that many, many times. Um, but I think the difference is those previous times, it was more tied to this place of um, like, this is it. This is my story. I'll be completed. Like it was like coming from this place of lack, I guess you could say. Whereas when I met Stevie and I've talked about this a lot before, um, it was, it was this different feeling. Like it wasn't like this, like, Ooh, I need to get him to like me. It wasn't coming from like, I always ask my clients, like, what's your come from? So previously my come from was like, Ooh, this person will complete my life. Like, will um, make you know this whole make be like the last check mark on or checkbox you know on the list or whatever. And with Stevie, it was just like this quiet like, you just relax here. Like, you're gonna be fine. Like, this is gonna work out fine. And I had done you know a lot, a lot, a lot of personal work um, you know before that moment. So I don't well, I don't know. I I do think that you know that had a really big impact. Um, I can't honestly say that like when I first met Stevie that, ooh, like this person is 
my soulmate or this person's my person. But I did remember very distinctly having this feeling of this time it's going to be different. And I think it's because I didn't have my worthiness or my identity wrapped up in what may or may not happen in that relationship. So does that then mean that you were emotionally available and also was he? And also, while we're on the subject, what the heck does it mean to be available or unavailable emotionally? What does that look like? Yeah, so being emotionally available versus unavailable, I mean, even though those are you know two stark things, it's really not like a black and white thing. I think, I think to think of it more as like a spectrum. Uh, so one thing that I always tell my clients, you know, it's different from wanting a relationship versus being actually available for the relationship you really want. I've wanted a relationship since I was in sixth grade. Like I seriously can remember dreaming about my future husband and future wedding as early as sixth grade. Um, but that does not mean I was emotionally available, meaning like being vulnerable um, allowing someone really in to see me, even if that meant rejection or judgment, um, allowing myself to trust someone else, allowing myself to trust myself in that whole process. Um, that I was not really in that place until really just before I met my husband and I started doing a lot of this internal work that, you know, we're going to talk about here in this show. Um, so one thing I like to think of is, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard this, is the idea that dating is just a numbers game. You just got to go on X amount of dates, and at some point, statistically, you'll meet your person. And there's some truth to that, you know, because like if you don't go out and date at all or meet people at all, you probably won't meet anybody, right? So obviously, there's some truth to it. But I think that if you're not really available for the kind of relationship that you want, then you can go out on all the dates that you want, but ultimately you're going to keep finding yourself in very similar situations or patterns or relationships over and over again, because you're just, again, you're just repeating like these old patterns versus if you are more available for the kind of relationship you want, you, you can get bigger bang for your buck, so to speak. And so, you know, in the assessment that I know you guys talked about, and then I'll share a little more later, um, I have, you know, you take this assessment, you take this quiz and then you grade yourself basically. And if you are like on the lower scale, like maybe zero to 30%, 40% or so emotionally available, then you're going to go out on these dates, but like, you're not going to see a lot of, you know, fruits of your labor. Um, it's going to be very frustrating. It's going to be very tiring. Whereas if you're more emotionally available, it doesn't guarantee you the very next time that you go out with someone that that's going to be your person, or that's going to be the right relationship for you. But it does mean you're going to have a very different experience because you're going to be more available for the relationship that you want. And one of two things can happen when you're not really emotionally available for the relationship you want. One, you can attract people who are emotionally unavailable. And that's not really like a law of attraction-y, like, you know, attracts like or whatever. That's more of just simply what's your comfort level, right? Like if you've ever been out with someone who is, you know, very open, very emotionally available, and you're kind of low-key not, then that person might feel a little like, whoa, like you might not even trust the person. Like, what is this person's intentions? Like, what do they want with me? Like, who do they think they are? Like, they don't know me. Like that kind of like defensive kind of attitude. And so you'll be more likely to be attracted to someone who feels a little bit more aloof, even though that's not what you consciously want. Uh, there's something about that that's familiar, that's comfortable. And so then you gravitate towards that. 
The other thing that can happen is a lot of times in those kinds of relationships, and it depends on the exact pattern that's getting played out, um, <clears throat> you can experience really high highs and then low lows. And those high highs feel like really, really good. And so you're constantly trying to look for those high highs because you've mistaken that with love. And so then you go out with someone who is emotionally available um, and 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 there's not that high high or low low kind of <laughs> Uh, thing going on. And so then what can happen is that person just feels kind of boring or it's more of like a friend vibe or a friend zone kind of situation. And, and then you can start like really like messing with yourself. Like, Oh my God, what is wrong with me? Like the nice guys bore me. Am I like naturally attracted to the assholes? And then they can just create all these stories about yourself that aren't true. It's just a lack of understanding of what's really going on. Well, there's so much there. I mean, I think it's really important to understand emotional availability and not confuse it with, oh no, I want to date. I want to be in a relationship. Like that doesn't mean you're emotionally available because it's just not, that's like scratching the surface, right? You need to ask yourself those tough questions. Like, am I willing to be vulnerable? I thought it was awesome that you said, am I willing to trust the other person and trust myself? These are all really important things that you can ask yourself to see, and I'm sure your assessment obviously goes into great detail, but to see if emotional availability is a thing. Like you can't just say, oh no, I want to date and I want to be in a relationship. This is why then Jen goes out on dates. I did it too, where Jen's like, I'm emotionally available, or at least I think she is, but maybe your assessment can confirm that. And I thought I was too, but then you're like, dating, you feel like you're dating hundreds of people that are just like, it doesn't go anywhere, or they don't seem interested, or they're whatever. And it could just be that they and then we all turn around and say, well, they're on a dating app. So what if they didn't want to be dating, then why are they there? And it's probably because they don't realize that they're not ready to take that step, even though they're on a dating app, and they think they want to date. So I think it's really important to understand what emotional availability is and like don't point the finger at other people I know we talked about that here and you agree like a lot of women will point the finger at men for being emotionally unavailable because they're like I don't know what do you think Veronica that's like well society you know tells a man to be tough and not cry and like hold your feelings in and women are known for talking about their feelings so like we just automatically think men are emotionally unavailable but like it's actually not true right yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think also we're and and you know talking about like you know heterosexual relationships here, the unavailable, emotionally unavailable man is very it, it's archetype, right? And we see this archetype everywhere. We see it in TV shows, we see it in reality TV shows, we see it in movies. We just end like we all know that person, right? So this archetype exists everywhere, and we can you know list all of these characteristics of that emotionally unavailable guy. Like we all know who that person is. We can <laughs> create a character. Um, but what we're less familiar with is the other ways that emotional availability can manifest itself. And that's where um, I think that when we can look into some of those uh, more deceiving ways, we're like, oh, that's being emotionally available or unavailable. So for example, um, you know, a lot of clients or a lot of women that I work with will date from this place of control because they don't want to be rejected. And so they'll try to control everything. They'll try to control what the other person does. They'll try to control like the texting situation. They'll kind of try to control all the outcomes. And it's obviously self-protection. So I'm not going to like knock anyone for doing that. Like we've all done that at some point, I am sure. 
Um, but when you really think about it, like that's not actually being emotionally available because you're trying to control the situation so you don't get hurt. And almost by definition, you're not being vulnerable. You're not being emotionally open. And so if that's the place that you're dating from, like, it's just, it's just going to be a complete disconnect from like where your emotions are versus where mentally you want. So that's just one example. We can go into more examples if you want. Um, but that's just a very common example that I see all, all the time that is absolutely being emotionally unavailable, but we don't see this archetype that much, right? We don't really see this that much in movies, reality shows, whatever. Uh, I think, you know, that example makes a lot of sense because people won't necessarily realize that's what they're doing when they, you know, stack it up against, let's just say their personality quirks or how they are in business or potentially attribute it to their astrological sign or whatever the case may be that they point to all of these reasons that they are the way they are. I mean, I would say I'm pretty on the spectrum of not controlling, but managed. And so I manage my outcomes because I know you know, how to do something and get a desired result. I would say that I have not done that as much in dating in the last however long because I realized it wasn't working for me and I can't control another person with all of their emotions and their baggage and their experience and what they want in life and relationships. So I sort of relinquished that. Um, But I think that it's easy to take your daily persona and let it seep into your dating persona if you are potentially that way in your business career because you you want things to succeed. So like not to defend people for being controlling, but I think it's a natural transition into that, into their relationships. But what would you say are other examples that might not be so obvious? Because like you said, we can point to men and be like emotionally unavailable. They're non-committal. They, you know, uh, keep their options open. They don't go too deep. They you, th- There's so many easy ways to point out when a man is not being um, emotionally available, but what does it look like for a woman in other areas? Or just in general, like, like you said, Veronica, like just less obvious things like, oh, that guy just wants to sleep with me or whatever. Like what is the more sneaky ways that people are emotionally unavailable, unobvious men and women, but women too. I mean- we all do it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We all, we all do it. Um, so I think another really common way is just everything with boundaries. Um, so you don't set boundaries. You don't ask for your needs. You don't say what you feel or what you want. Um, and in any kind of situation, whether it's just like a small little thing or like setting a boundary or, or a need with like, Hey, like I want to talk about like where this is going or where you see us going or how you feel about me because I feel like X, Y, Z. So any kind of boundary or lack of boundary is going to have to do with emotional availability. That makes so much sense because I think what maybe some people think when they're not creating boundaries is that they are available. Yes, and they're being I was so going to say that. Yeah, because they're like, whatever you want, I'm available for whatever you want. That's right. totally, yeah, but that I, you totally sparked the same thought, Jen, in the same moment. Because I was going, oh my God. I mean, that's 100% right. But it's actually the opposite. Yeah, I think that's a really common misunderstanding is, oh, no boundaries means we're close. And this happens everywhere. You know, like I, I, you know, I do a lot of inner child work, which you talked a lot about on the first time I was here. Um, But you know, so I talk a lot about like, or I help clients and women, you know, also heal their relationships with their siblings or mothers, possibly fathers, um, because all of that stuff often gets played out in their relationships. And 
so many times when I'm trying to help them set boundaries with, you know, overbearing or, you know, uh, codependent types of, you know, mothers or other kinds of relationships, there's so much guilt. It's like, yeah, but we're not going to be close or they're going to feel like I'm pushing them away. And the truth is, is that like, I, I like to think of boundaries as, um, like salsa dancing, right? So if you're salsa dancing and you're kind of doing it poorly, you're stepping on each other's toes, you're tripping, you're probably getting frustrated because that person's supposed to do that. And then they thought you're going to do this. And there's like all this miscommunication and just like a big mess, right? But if everyone's doing what they're supposed to do and they know where they're supposed to be, then salsa dancing, it just, it just moves. It just flows. And it's just like the two bodies work together and like, it just creates this beautiful work of art. Right. And so I think we can think of relationships in very much the same way. If you're in a partnership with someone and this can be platonic, like not platonic, like romantic, anything. And you know, like where you stand and where your partner stands and where you can be and where they can be, then like everything can just flow and you can actually, you have this space to build a really beautiful connection. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I, everyone has different reasons for not setting boundaries or asking for what they need or whatever. But I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh shoot, my boundaries kind of suck. Then you can ask yourself, well, what's the fear behind setting the boundary? Cause there's always a fear, right? So is it the fear of rejection? Is it the fear of, you know, them judging you of them thinking that you're being bitchy or needy or whatever. And, those are all, that's just another ver- variation of these walls that we're talking about. And ultimately the walls are emotionally, makes, makes you un- emotionally unavailable. Um, and again, this is like a very different thing than that male archetype that we think of when we think of emotional unavailability-ness. Um, I think another uh, common area that, um, that we can, you know, <laughs> think about, or that really ends up being emotional, makes us emotionally unavailable well, I mean, you know, there's there's a couple things, but I, I think the other thing is almost having, so the, on the other side of this coin is almost having, it's not too many boundaries. I don't know what the exact word is, um, but it's almost like you're, I, I often use this phrase, they're guilty and they have to prove themselves innocent. So it's almost like you have so many walls and it's, and you, and you think you might be the strong independent woman and you have all these boundaries and you got all your stuff in order, but at the same time, it's like, you're basically putting someone on trial every time you go on a date or you're looking for them to mess up or you're looking for just like one little thing to make something wrong with them. Um, I think that's something that's really common that a lot of, I mean, I th- I'm sure a lot of people do in general, but I just see a lot of women do in particular because and again, I have to have a lot of compassion. I do have a lot of compassion. Like that comes from a hurt place that comes from fear that comes from a lack of trust in themselves or in others or in the process or in relationships. So it's not a critique. I, there's lots of compassion there, but it's, it's almost like too strong on the boundaries, if that makes sense. And it's like keeping everyone's at an arm's length. And it's like, you're not getting any closer until you can prove to me that you're innocent and not guilty here. But at the same time, almost none of those people actually ever get through. And so then, yeah. and then that creates like the whole story of like men are this, men are that, dating's this, da da da, and you know that creates a whole other slew of stories and situations and frustration. Yeah, I think we all have a friend like that. I can think of someone in particular, and same. I'm the same person. <laughs> I think we both know Jen, and I feel like that is. Because it's like we're trying to to label it, right? Like it's too much, too many boundaries. Or like maybe it's like not a boundary, but it's a wall, yeah. right? Like that person has a wall up and like nobody's getting through. And everyone is literally in trouble before they are even like you even know them. Like 
I know this person always says like, well, they have to earn my trust. And I'm not saying like, yeah, just let everyone give your trust blindly away to everyone. But like, you're, they're already working from a deficit, like with people like that. Here's the thing about that. And sorry to interrupt you. I just want to say like, they have to earn their, their trust. I, I hear that sentiment. And also trusting others has everything to do with trusting yourself. Because how do you make a determination as to whether or not someone is trustworthy? You have to trust yourself to make that call, right? And so if no one's ever able to be quote unquote trustworthy to you, then ultimately the problem is you don't trust yourself to know if that person's trustworthy or not. Yeah. Like you don't trust your own judgment. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So much. And, and we trust ourselves through our emotions, through our intuition. And so when you don't trust yourself, then, um, there's, there's that lack of emotional availability within you. And then obviously that's going to show up in, in relationships. And I think you're absolutely right. Like, I don't think it's a problem too many boundaries. I think it's a wall, but I think that people who find themselves in this kind of pattern uh, would call what they're experiencing boundaries when really we know from the outside that it's a wall. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. not. And it takes somebody a really deep dive or maybe a therapy session or a really trustworthy friend to kind of like open your eyes to that. What other, so like the wall slash boundary issue is like potentially like a harmful pattern that would like prevent you from finding love and like keeping love. Are there any other, is there like another big one that comes to your mind? Like emotional unavailability, um, these walls being built, which is kind of very similar or like an offshoot of that. Is there another one that you see a lot with your clients where you're like, this is a really common pattern I see that people do that like really, I think a lot of people can relate to and it really is preventing people from finding love. Yeah. So I think that the other big piece is ultimately the the worthiness wound, the not enoughness. And this can manifest in a number of different ways. So for example, if someone hurts you, if they break up with you, um, if they ghost you, obviously like those things suck and there's no way around it. And it's not that they're not supposed to suck or it's not that you're not supposed to feel sad. But what happens is when someone's you know not really available for the relationship they want is that their worthiness gets tied up in the rejection. And so something becomes wrong with them or they did something wrong or you know, it, it's, there's some kind of story like that. And so that's just another sign of like, you know, it might not be the best idea, the best use of your emotional energy to date from that place. Because if you can't emotionally like, okay, yes, oof, take a breath, take a pause, this hurts. Yes. But have it not tie up in your worthiness. Like it's just not going to be a very fruitful place to date because that's also probably going to lead to some of these other patterns that, um, you know, that we're, that we're talking about. Um, and then I think another piece of the worthiness, uh, pie, I guess that we're talking about here is when your worthiness isn't sourced from within, but it's sourced from people or things or statuses outside of you or around you, you're so much more likely to fall in love with either someone's potential or the idea of the person. And so when I was living abroad, I met, I was inter, I was a grad student in, in Israel and I was this, um, I was an intern at like a human rights organization and I met this guy who was my age, but he wasn't intern. He had like a real job there. And like, I was just like, Oh my God, like we are meant to be together. And I fell in love with like the story of, of him because there was something about this story that meant something to me that I just felt like if this were to happen in my life, like I would just 
feel so good about myself. Like I would just feel like that feeling that I've been trying to get for a long time, which is, which is just that feeling of just feeling good enough, a feeling, a feeling worthy. Um, and so I, oh my gosh, I mean, I won't go into it now, but <laughs> that relationship was not great um, for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons is because I just let him call whatever shots he wanted to, because I just was desperate to make anything work. Um, because again, it wasn't even him. Like he didn't even show me that much potential. Like he was kind of a asshole to be honest, but just the, the story of the relationship, I, I couldn't shake that for just a really, really long time. Um, and so again, like I'm not sourcing my needs or what I want or how I feel like from within at all. It's all coming from outside of me. And again, like I can try and try and try this relationship or I can be dating from that place where all these people are going to make me feel good about myself. And that's just going to lead to a lot of one date wonders or just a lot of duds or dead end relationships. And I'm just not going to get a lot of, um, yeah, like just not a lot to write home about from these relationships or dating experiences from that place. What you said just reminded me actually of like what, how people feel when they're being picked for a team or musical chairs, like, you know, kind of being the last one to get the chair or the last one to, uh, win the game, I guess. And it feels a lot like that for me sometimes personally, where I, not the being picked part, but I do understand that a lot of people are rooted in the validation of being selected. And it almost doesn't matter who the person is. The person could be a dick, just like you said. And it's the art of being selected more than anything. But for me with like the musical chairs part, I'm like, telling myself there's this romantic story coming for me because everyone always says, you know, what's meant to be will happen. Everybody's path is different. Every cliche in the book about, you know, being patient basically because no one actually has the answer. So they just want you to stay positive and, you know, hold out and, and keep love alive and be hopeful and stuff. But like, I do look into things and hope that they end up being the hallmark story where the girl goes back to her hometown and the guy working on the car that died ends up being her husband and kind of reading between the lines and and piecing things together in hopes that that's the story. So that all makes perfect sense. And I think we all have our own version of that, especially as we are potentially going through the motions. And even people end up in bad relationships because they thought it was the story and realized they manufactured that and now have to go find a new story, basically. But that is a pattern, I think, on both ends, whether it's the validation or it's the story create it's the story writing and and the fairy tale that they're piecing together to make themselves feel like they're worthy of the love other people have. But at the same time, not having it doesn't mean you're not worthy. It just means it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe you are worthy and you're actually really good at cutting the shit out of your life. Yeah. I, I always tell people that, you know, it's it's funny when some of my clients, when they want to like break a pattern, like for example, let's say they have a pattern of like where they just don't trust people or and specifically men maybe. And I'm like, okay, so what ends up happening is sometimes they'll try to practice and I'm putting that in air quotes, trusting somebody. And so they'll go on a date and like, they're kind of getting some like bad vibes, maybe a red flag or two, but they're like, no, I'm going to trust this person. So I'm going to practice trusting. And like, that's not the way to, to do it. Right. Like we don't practice trusting others because, uh, but you know, or that's not how we practice trusting, right? Like trusting others comes from self-trust. And so, um, I forget why I was telling this story, 
but um, but basically, you know, everything that we play out in relationships, we have to practice within ourselves. Yeah, like the stories you tell yourself, like the narrative that's in your head about like what Jen was saying, like specific things about like, you know, people give you dating advice, right? Because they're like trying to keep you positive and they're just like using cliched things to say. You might even tell yourself these own cliched things when you're trying to get through like some sort of dating situation. If a guy's not texting you back fast enough, you're going to tell yourself a story or whatever it is. So like, what, what do you think, where do you think that comes from when you're like, telling yourself story, is this like a self-preservation thing? Like, are you trying to keep yourself positive, positive? Like we don't want to stop doing that, but then how do you recognize when it's becoming like, I don't know, not truthful or rooted in something else like desperation or, um, excuses. And then secondarily, if you're getting dating advice from people that even you've talked about, Veronica, where they're like kind of patronizing, but they're not meaning to be mean, but they're being patronizing. Like, how do you pick, how do you weed that out? How are you weeding out like the bad advice you're either telling yourself or you're getting from others? Well, coming from others is, is the easier answer. So I'll just, I'll just say that. I think Brene Brown talks about this. Like she has like some little card that fits in her wallet. So we're talking like credit card size and like, those are the people that the numbers, the names that she can fit on that card are basically the people that she takes advice from or, or, um, you know, criticism from and everyone else is just like, whatever, <laughs> which I get is easier said than done, but I don't think it's necessarily the worst advice in the world either. Um, when it comes to some of like the stuff that we tell ourselves, I think we have to understand this comes from, we have to understand, understand some basic things about just being a human. And one thing is, is as a human, we need to feel love, safety, and belonging. And I never want to have someone criticize themselves or for me to feel like, or for someone to feel like I'm criticizing them for doing something to feel love, safety, and belonging. And we will do anything we can to feel those three things. Uh, and when we're younger, uh, and I, I know we talked a lot, a lot more about inner child work and the first uh, episode that I was on, but when we're younger, we learn how to feel those things through either things that we're told from our parents or just things that we have seen uh, and experience or things that we've skills or coping mechanisms that we've developed because that was the only thing that was available to us. Um, So just a quick example is, you know, let's say that, you grew up in a house where dad had a temper and so you learned to walk on eggshells and just to be like super helpful and super pleasing and never ask for what you need or want or say what you really think or feel because you never know what could rock the boat. So it was just easier to keep your mouth closed, your head down, do it as told and just stay in your room and read a book or whatever. Right. So that, that created some sort of feeling of love, safety, or belonging, or any combination of those three things. Now, unless that is looked into and healed, you probably on some level still derive love, safety, and belonging, those three feelings from some sort of pattern that's similar to what you did when you were 10 years old living at mom or dad's house or mom and dad's house. And so the stories that we tell ourselves, like, yes, there are some societal cliches, but I think when we get really specific or really drill in, a lot of the stories we tell ourselves are these old stories and they're often other people's voices. So in that house uh, where you had to walk on eggshells, maybe your mom was saying something along the lines of don't rock the boat or 
you know, this is just how men are or something like that. Right. And then those kinds of stories then, uh, or beliefs got ingrained in your brain. And so then you're an adult and a guy's acting like an asshole. And you're like, well, this is how men are. You have to figure it out. Or you have to just, you know, not rock the boat or not rock the boat or you have to people please. And you might not literally be saying, Oh, I have to people please, but you might do things to try to please that person in order to get in their good graces or get them to text you back or love you or want you or whatever it is. So I think you have to look specifically at what the beliefs are or what the stories you tell yourself are. And yes, there might be some cliche things that are more of a product of society, but I think the ones that are really probably a lot more influential are the ones that we picked up from childhood, you know, again, from those various mechanisms that we talked about, um, and really understand where they come from, why they're there, and first and foremost, just have loads of compassion. Because for someone who had to walk on eggshells as a child, just to like, you know, try to avoid, you know, dad's wrath, you know, I will never criticize them or, or think anything poorly or judge or whatever for them having a similar pattern as an adult, because like when you're 10 years old, you can't just be like, well, this kind of sucks. I'm going to move out and get my own job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a 10 year old doesn't usually have that kind of, um, you know, option. So you have to figure it out. You have to find some way to make it work at least somewhat until you're older and have more options and in power on, on your side. And so when you're 30 something or 40 something or 20 something or 50 something or whatever, and you and you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to rock the boat with this person because they might leave me. Like, you've got to have compassion for yourself because you're just playing out this old pattern. Um, Man, it's a miracle any of us find love because of how we were brought up, which we couldn't control, and many people don't have the tools or resources to resolve the issues of the past or even know that they have those issues until they're deep into their dating life or relationships and examining, like we said, in therapy, potentially with somebody where they uncover the root of all of their troubles. So like, why on earth do we do these things? And like, I guess the question is then like, are there sort of quick and dirty things that we can look at in ourselves and say like, all right, if I do these five things, it's probably a me thing. And maybe I should also reevaluate my dating profile because I'm putting it out right then and there. Or maybe I'm setting these boundaries because it's a reflection of the five things. Like, are there five personal deal breakers that maybe, maybe not five, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, what are the things maybe we could point out in ourselves and be like, all right, I'm the problem. Let's get to work. Yeah. So I think the very first thing is just to ask, like, is this an anomaly or is this a pattern? Because I don't want to yeah, you know, I'm very mindful because I think a lot of times in this space we can bypass or gaslight ourselves even. And so I don't want anyone ever to think like, oh my God, I attracted this person into my life because of X. You know what I mean? Because that can be super damaging. Um, and so, you know, anomalies happen, shit happens. And I don't want to just like brush over that because it can really suck and it can be really painful and frustrating. Um, but it happens, you know, it's life. Um, if the same thing or a very similar thing, whether it's like the same kind of relationship or the same kind of circumstance or the same kind of energy, just like shows up in a relationship over and over again, then I think, you know, honestly, I think the first thing you can ask yourself is just, what does this remind me of? Or, or when have I felt like this before? Um, and then just see if you can begin pinpointing it back. Like, oh, this kind of reminds me of that time when I was 10 years old or actually, when I think about it, these guys all remind me of my mom. Or when I think about it, like, I 
feel the need to want to please or people please or please this person because you know of things that my mom said or because like I did this in order to um, you know make my mom feel better because she made me feel all of her emotions or whatever it is I don't know uh, but you just begin to pinpoint like just asking yourself these simple questions and then if like a situation comes up from when you were like 10 or 8 or 12 I would just close your eyes and see that version of yourself in your mind's eye and just breathe and just send her lots of love. And I know that sounds like really simple and really like, okay, but seriously, how does it have to do with my profile or <laughs> swiping or whatever? I think it has a lot to do with it because when we're swiping or when we're dating or in a relationship and like, it's just not feeling great or you find yourself kind of playing out this old pattern or just whatever. When we over identify with, I'm the single one, or I always, I'm the people pleaser, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I always do that, then like, you're really wrapping up your identity in the actions that you're taking. And one could argue that's just semantics, but I really don't think it is. Like, there's a very different energy between, you know, I'm a people pleaser versus I have people pleasing tendencies because of X, and then you enter in whatever your situation was growing up when you were younger. And it's a... I mean, you can just say it out loud for those, those listening. It's a very different energy. Like, oh yeah, I have people pleasing, people pleasing tendencies because da, 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 da. And when you create that separation between yourself and then the actions that you take or have taken in the past, um, then it gives you some space to like, okay, what can I do differently instead? Or, oh, okay, I can see how my 10 year old self is wanting to people please because of X, Y, Z. So what's something different I can do? Um, can I actually ask for what I need or can I ask you know, can I set this boundary? And yeah, that might mean I'll get rejected. And that really freaking sucks. But, you know, I don't want to play out this 10 year old pattern from dad anymore, or whatever it is. So ultimately, it just comes back down to to self talk and separating yourself from the actions that you're taking, just so you give yourself a little bit of breathing space to kind of take a bird's eye view of what's going on and how you can respond to something differently. I don't know if that's like the quick and dirty tips, but I think it's oh, as quick as I can get. That's helpful because it makes it feel like not so scary and like hard to figure out because it's such a big thing, right? Like you're asking yourself these questions and you don't even like know where to begin. And it's basically you're like, what's wrong with me? Well, I don't freaking know. Like, but if you get a little bit more specific and then instead of pointing the finger and blaming it on others, ask yourself the right question and the question of like, how does this remind, what does this remind me of? Or um, how does this feel familiar? That makes it feel, okay, well, that's an easy question to answer. To just feel like I need to figure out what's wrong with me. That's overwhelming and like impossible. But this is, okay, this is, thing is not an anomaly. It's a pattern. Why is this a pattern? How does it feel familiar? I think a lot of people can answer that question. So I think that is a very easy, like actionable thing to do. And speaking of that also, before we let you go, if just to put it into context now, so like you figured out maybe, okay, like there's this pattern that I have and, or have, I figured out and, you know, um, I'm, I really want to put my best foot forward when I'm meeting people or slash, like when it comes to creating a dating profile, is there any, I guess it would depend specifically on what your pattern is or what your problem is, but is there anything that you see like, a common thing that people do that's like 
maybe not the best choice, but that often like you help your clients with on their dating profiles. Like, oh yeah, I see this a lot. There's something that people could maybe keep their eye open to when they're just, okay, they're asking herself themselves these questions and they're putting it into use specifically with dating profiles. Like, is there one thing that you're like, yeah, most people do this, try not to do that. Yeah, well, one thing is if you have fun loving on your profile, <laughs> I say that. Oh God. <laughs> Fun, like just take it off. Doesn't mean anything. Um, I think yeah. I, for dating profiles, I'm just really, I'm, I'm really into specificity. So be really specific. I also really like painting a picture versus like um, telling me what you like to do. Like tell me what, show me what your Saturday is like. So you can show me through sat through pictures, but you can also just show me by like literally walking me through you know your day. Like my perfect Saturday starts with this, rather than just like I like that because that just sounds really generic. But you know, other than that, um, a couple things. One is don't be afraid to say what like you're really looking for on your profile. I can't tell you how many times like, you know, I've worked with a client and they're like, uh, online dating this, guys I'm attracting that, blah, blah, blah. And um, when, when we talk about their profile, I'm like, okay, so what's on your profile? And it's something along the lines of like, looking for fun and maybe more, I don't know, that's a stupid example, but that's the first thing that came to my mind, but it wasn't, it's not like a clear, like what they are looking for. And for folks who don't have that on their profile, then I would ask why. And a lot of times it's because that feels vulnerable. And that ties us back to the very beginning of this conversation, which is how emotionally vulnerable are you? Um, and, and so don't be afraid to ask for, you know, what it is you're really looking for and be truthful. And the other thing is, um, who are you swiping? And it's more of the swiping apps, or eh, you could apply it to the regular apps or the other apps too. Who are you messaging or who are you swiping right on? Because again, like I will have like a 20 minute conversation with a client and they're talking about like, you know, all these guys, like no one's on there, da 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 da. da. And then like when we really get to it, they're like, it kind of comes out that they're only swiping right on the people that they think can't reject them or won't reject them. And so like, they're, you know, quote unquote, swiping down and swiping left on people that they think is out of their league or is too good for them or intimidates them. Da, da, da. And again, that brings us back to the original conversation, which is how emotionally available are you? Because then we have to ask, why are, why are you swiping right on those people and swiping left on, you know, those other people? Um, so again, like there are certainly mechanics that I think can help with the practical, the very tangible piece of dating. Um, but we always have to bring it down to the inner works. It's like, okay, but why are you doing this? Or why are you not doing that? And it almost always comes back to emotional availability. Yeah, I, I love the, um, the pointing out of like, getting specific on the profile, but that, that question of like, tell me what your Saturday looks like. Like, that's an awesome specific question to ask not like what do you like to do for fun like oh god like not only is that boring yeah, it's like everyone likes to watch like, Netflix everyone likes to go out to eat like oh <laughs> like no thank you it's just like I remember being attracted to like people who would write stuff like that on their profile or like when I'm looking at like some of the profiles that Jen is liking like we always laugh at the ones that say something like with like really interesting that like it's just on another level that it feels like a great conversation starter and like somebody that you want to get to know because then you feel like you're going to have conversations that are fun and 
they're going to go somewhere and they're not just going to live on the surface. And so it, and it does, it kind of makes you feel safe. It's probably subconscious, but it makes you feel safe. Like this person's going to go there. This person's emotionally available. Okay. Now we can go do this. Like it's probably so much deeper as to why you're attracted to it. Just like we talked about in the beginning of the show, why you're attracted to available or emotionally unavailable. And that would be even on a dating app. Like it, sometimes it can shine through. So I think that's awesome. Everyone steal that. What does your what does a Saturday look like for you? I think everyone should do that. No, no fun loving. No, take that away. That's bad. Yeah. Also to piggyback off that, like what I see often, because clearly I'm on them and every single app, but some people write nothing. They'll write like a one word answer or sarcastic response. And it's like, I don't even bother with those people because the thought that I have that first crosses my mind is if you have nothing to say with an easy prompt and you're actually trying, like if you're if you think that this is going to sell you to find love potentially, like you're going to be such a dud on a date. It's going to be like pulling teeth to get information out of you. And it doesn't make the banter fun when you match because there's nothing to go off of. They don't give you anything to work with. So I just totally forego those people. And I would assume they might not know to, you know, expand on their profile. They might not have this advice because of them just not listening to this podcast, which is a shame. Someone needs to send this to them. But, you know, you're giving great advice and hopefully people do sort of reposition how they put themselves out there moving forward and reevaluate and also remind everyone where they can take your assessment and follow you on social media, your podcast, all of the things. Yeah. So you can take my emotional availability assessment at veronicagrant.com forward slash assessment. And so you'll yeah, you'll take the test, get your score, and then depending on what your score is, because again, it's a spectrum, it's not an on-off switch, you'll get some, just some next steps to think about depending on where you land on that spectrum. Um, and then I also have my own podcast called The Love Life Connection, and I bring audience members and also clients onto the show and coach them through some of this inner work and apply it to you know the actual ins and outs of dating. So if you're kind of curious about how that might work, then that podcast is a really great place to, um, to be. And then I'm on Instagram. I'm Veronica E. Grant, but I'm not going to lie. I usually just post like funny memes. I don't, I'm not really into like, I don't know. Instagram is not my jam. So my podcast is my jam and my emotional availability assessment is definitely my jam. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. We're so happy to have you back. And everyone don't forget to tune into It's Complicated, where we talk more dating and relationshipy stuff. Uh, often because, you know, this topic is something that is a hot topic for all of us, whether you're single, married, in between things, it's complicated, all of the above. And if you want to join the class of master daters, don't forget to follow us on the socials at complicated show. And it's complicated wherever you get your pods to rate, comment, and tell a friend. And you can follow me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meets. And you can find me at Jennifer Golden on all the social meets or on all the dating apps. My profile is really cute. So be sure to check it out and react to my Saturday. Holla. Love you long time. You're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now it's complicated. <laughs>